1: Drones can help the military. Drones can shoot video high above floods and fires. Drones can even help Amazon deliver packages. But drones cannot sense and cannot adapt to a changing environment. Not yet. That's what my guest today on Lincoln Live is attempting to change. Dr. Justin Bradley, Assistant Professor of Computer Science and Engineering at UNL, is using a nearly $500,000 five-year grant from the National Science Foundation's Faculty Early Career Development Program to give drones and other robots the advantage of being able to refocus attention as needed to adapt to a situation. We're gonna get into that today, folks. Good morning, Justin. Morning. What's stopping a drone or a robot now from being able to sense the environment?
0: So robots have some limited ability to sense their environment already. They can interact with it in relatively simple and sometimes even complex ways, right? So we've been flying drones through the air for a while now. Um, and they certainly are reacting to wind gusts. They're not necessarily sensing all of them, but they're reacting to them. I think what is missing from them is the ability to adapt to new and unseen circumstances, new things in the environment. Um, let me give kind of an example. So, you've, I don't know if you've driven on I-80 in western Nebraska, say around Sydney, Nebraska. There's not a lot happening there. There's not a lot of traffic, pretty straight roads. What are you doing as a driver? Well, you're probably not sort of white knuckled steering wheel like you might be in Omaha on I-80, right? Where at rush hour traffic, there's a lot of traffic going on. Drones don't have this ability. They are doing, they constantly are treating everything as if they're, so to speak, driving down I-80 in rush hour in Omaha. They get designed to operate according to their sort of worst case parameters, and they're always doing that. Well, what does that mean? What that essentially means that if I'm, you know, on I-80 in western Nebraska, so to speak, and I could better use that time if I'm the drone collecting scientific data, probably not going to be able to do that. I can't readjust or reallocate my resources, my focus, according to the environmental needs. So from an impact standpoint, how will this
1: technology be useful?
0: So from an impact standpoint, uh, the biggest idea I think is, or the biggest impact will be along the lines of being able to uh, do machine learning advanced algorithms, artificial intelligence, which can't currently be done on really small processors. So, so you know, imagine real small robots here have real small computational power. They can't do all the algorithms and the AI that we'd like them to do. And that's in part because we've designed them to always be doing this sort of white knuckle steering wheel. So by, doing, by being able to reallocate resources like this, they will be able to execute more AI, more uh, machine learning, more science, more data collection. And so it improves, um, I think I, uh, one of my biggest interests is being able to do intelligent uh, reconnaissance, things like that to support the mission of the Air Force. Um, this is a really big deal. And what I'd like to be able to do is do that more efficiently with fewer resources on board the aircraft. Tell us what obstacles you have had to overcome and what still
1: have to be overcome in order to to achieve this anytime algorithm.
0: Yeah, so one of the biggest problems is that we don't have a full framework. So we have a framework for what we've been doing, which again is this sort of worst case design scenario but we don't have a a mathematical or a robust framework to be able to do this sort of automated reallocation of resources, sort of adjusting to the needs of the environment. And what do I mean by sort of a a framework? We lack the mathematical framework. In other words, what I'd like to be able to tell you as a consumer or, or someone who cares about these robots is that if I do this thing, implement my algorithm, that it'll be safe. That's what you'd like to know. Well, I can't tell you that currently. I can tell you that for the way we've been designing them. But if a robot's adapting in this way, I haven't so far been able to tell you that. What my work will do is allow us to tell you that information.
1: I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, that the technology you're developing doesn't exist yet because a void exists between computer science and controlling. Can you explain what makes you so uniquely diverse, what you're attempting to do so diverse?
0: Yeah, it's sort of this uh, odd pathway that I've taken through my education uh, to get to this stage. Um, but the, the bottom line is that um, engineers sort of traditionally get taught about uh, mathematics, about stability, about robustness of systems. And computer scientists often get taught about how to make good software and discrete mathematics, but may not take a sort of systems approach. And so it's really hard for those things to connect, especially in the control world, where those two are completely uh, dependent on each other. Now they haven't, it hasn't always been that way. Uh, control, we used to implement this with you know circuits, um, but now it's always software. Everything that's controlling these drones is software. So you've got to understand both. And the bottom line is that most people haven't taken the time to really understand both in enough depth to be able to exploit that interdependency. And
1: which is causing the most problem? Is it computer science or is it controlling? Oh no,
0: I, I, yeah, I wouldn't say one over the other. They're, mm. they're just so different. Mm. And so, you know, you can't, you can't isolate them necessarily. Think of it this way. What you really need to do is rebuild from the ground up a framework that happily encompasses both. And currently they sort of grew up as independent, you know, towers of thought uh, without really exploiting that interdependency. So we need to now exploit that interdependency. Now, you know, I'm not the first to think of this. The the National Science Foundation has a cyber-physical systems program, which is who funded this uh, award. And this is exactly their goal, is to rethink these frameworks, these mathematical foundations, Um, and the thought processes that underpin an interdependent connection. Can you help listeners understand how this
1: applies to us, those of us out here who would be using this type of technology in the future?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So... One of the things that I like to think about is, um, you know, if, if you're a, a farmer and you'd like to invest in the next robotic system that might help you in your phone. We, we have automated tractors now, so this is emerging. Um, you know, what you'd like to do is you'd like to be able to have your drone or, or whatever it is, your robot do multiple things and do it safely currently what that requires is essentially a redo of the software. I've sort of got one mode for it to do this piece of work and another to do this other piece of work. What I'd like to be able to do is to say that should be fluid and the robot ought to be able to do that uh, without sort of needing this complete software change. This would help develop that. So, right. It's a robot that can do more, adapt more, can sense when it the corn is too high to drive through or when there's uh when it's cloudy and it's not a good time to do you know take ndvi or or other vegetation indexes from the air right you'd like a drone that adjusts to all those parameters and you're testing this in a rainforest in costa rica why (laughs) good question so um Yeah, so uh, in this case, Costa Rica rainforest is a placeholder, and it's a placeholder for a complex environment. We have complex environments here. We happen to have a science partner that we work well with, who has a a, um, does uh, has a what call this? It's a it's a center that Texas A and M has called the Soltis Center, and they study the rainforest in Costa Rica. The rainforest is interesting because it's highly complex. There's a canopy. There's a lot of places that you'd like to sample down on the ground as well as the the water. But these are all all sort of sitting underneath the trees. It's hard to get to. Um, That type of complexity makes it a really nice proving ground to showcase what we're trying to do. When do you test it? So currently the plan is to, uh, and actually this dovetails with another project that we have in my lab. Uh, So we'll begin testing, I believe next year of some other ideas. We have some robotics or some robots we're building to do some leaf sampling, some ground, some soil extraction, uh, some water sampling. We'll be testing those next year. My autopilot will come online probably three to four years from now and we'll start testing those algorithms there. And bring this back home to UNL. Talk about the new
1: program of study that you will develop for Husker students.
0: Yeah, so we are. We have been building robotics at UNL now for uh, about five to 10 years. We already have a minor in place, but what we really need is a major. We really need students who can come do this. the type of interdisciplinary uh, education to get them robotics degrees and get them to stay in Nebraska for the jobs here. There are plenty of jobs um, and uh, uh, we need students that can fill it. So uh, the goal is to build a, eventually a robotics major in the computer science and engineering department. will probably be a cross cutting major with like mechanical engineering, electrical engineering. Students be able to take it and learn these interdisciplinary ideas that will help them develop the next generation of robotic systems. And finally, Justin,
1: on a macro level, where does UNL fit into this subject, the world of drones and robotics?
0: Yeah, so um, I'm one of the co-directors of what we call the Nimbus Lab. It's the Nebraska Intelligent Mobile uh, Unmanned Systems Lab. We have been doing robotics for about 10 years and have really put our name on the map. Where do we put our name on the map? Well, what we do really well is interaction. We build robots that interact with the environment. We have a drone that digs a hole in the ground to put a sensor in it. We have a drone that grabs a leaf from a tree or from a corn stalk. We have a drone that flies over corn rows and senses how high they are, how tall they are, what their needs are. So all of these things are sort of getting close down right next to the environment and interacting with them, which is a very difficult challenge. It's easy to fly high, take pictures. It's much harder to get down right at the corn level, grab a leaf, take it back to the lab for sampling or or similar.
1: This is going on in our back doors, listeners, at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And Dr. Justin Bradley is on the cutting edge of it, Assistant Professor of Computer Science and Engineering at UNL. Thank you for joining me today, Justin. Thanks so much for having me.